a roundup of the main business news from China and elsewhere. This is Global Business. Welcome to this edition of Global Business. I'm Michelle Vandenberg in Beijing. Coming up on the program. Flying high, China Eastern Airlines commences scheduled passenger operations for fourth C919 aircraft in Shanghai and Beijing. Boosting trade, China unveils more measures to strengthen trade and investment connections across the Taiwan Straits. Tech Bonanza, innovators set to showcase cutting-edge technologies at world's largest consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. China has committed to further bolstering consumption and organizing a range of consumer promotion activities in 2024. The Ministry of Commerce has unveiled plans to enhance household spending, focusing on stimulating consumer potential through the cultivation of new consumption patterns, promoting foreign trade, and establishing the Invest in China brand to attract high-quality foreign investment. Additionally, the ministry aims to deepen the implementation of free trade zones, continue the high-quality co-construction of the Belt and Road Initiative, strengthen multilateral trade cooperation, as well as safeguard the nation's economic security. China's civil aviation authorities say the country's annual Spring Festival Travel Rush, or Chunyun, will begin on January 26 and will last for almost six weeks. The Civil Aviation Administration of China predicts that this year, air passenger trips during this period will hit 80 million, an increase of almost 10% over the pre-pandemic level. The authorities expect northeastern Heilongjiang province, the northwest Xinjiang Uyghur Autonomous Region, and southern Hainan province to be among the top destinations. China Eastern Airlines begins its scheduled passenger operations of its fourth C919 plane today. The plane will shuttle travelers between Shanghai's Hongqiao Airport and Beijing's Daxing Airport. The C919 is China's first self-developed aircraft model, and China Eastern Airlines already has three C919 aircraft in operation. Earlier this month, China's Civil Aviation Administration said it would step up cooperation with the European Union Aviation Safety Agency. It will push for the domestic narrow-body jet to be certified in Europe as part of its drive to gain more international recognition for the C919 and compete with Boeing and Airbus. Harbin has become the star of Chinese tourism this winter season. Social media videos are going viral with a healthy dose of humor, praising and highlighting the northeastern city's impressive hospitality. Chen Fei takes us behind the scenes into the secret of Harbin's success. On Harbin's famous Central Street, a newly lit carpet has become an internet sensation. Videos circulate online addressing the newfound safety measures. This tunnel was built in 2007. In the past 16 years, it never covered with carpet. Because you've lived in Harbin for how long? Uh, I've been living in Harbin for more than 20 years, and I can tell you. And you can tell. <laughs> it's really fresh for our local residents. A local commentator jokingly complains, what about all those times I fell? Locals like to joke about how much we spoil these tourists from the south. We heard from our street patrollers that many southern tourists tripped on the steps. 
So we had workers taking over 40 hours day and night nonstop, and laid nearly 1,000 square meters of slip-proof carpet. The response from Harbin's authorities is prime advertisement, spread through social media posts by netizens. A provincial tourism leader says Harbin's deliberate efforts in monitoring and reacting to online comments has played a role in the city's popularity. New initiatives on Central Street this year include putting up thousands more lamps and encouraging businesses to shelter freezing customers for free. This winter season, Harbin became a sensation. I think at the end of the day, it's because we did our homework and worked very hard for it. It didn't come easily. Another video about Harbin that went viral features a tall, handsome man serving tourists hot water at Ice and Snow World, one of the city's biggest attractions. That guy was actually one of our volunteers. Did you guys plan it, thinking it could go viral? It was never our consideration whether it would go viral or not. It was about our park having a high volume of visitors this year, and we needed more service people, which is why we recruited volunteers. For 25 years, Ice and Snow World has showcased an impressive display of sculptures for domestic and overseas tourists. We've been doing this for many years. I think the fact it's become so popular this year is the result of cultivating and developing our ice and snow culture for more than 60 years. For other cities working hard to attract visitors and win fame, Harbin's story offers a bright ray of hope. Chen Mengfei, CGTN, Heilongjiang Province. Still to come. Boosting trade, China unveils more measures to strengthen trade and investment connections across the Taiwan Straits. The world economy as we know it is about to change. Global business reports highlight emerging markets, developing countries, and dynamic sectors worldwide. We feature top analysts and newsmakers to provide perspectives on every facet of business. From an on-the-ground perspective, we provide you with balanced and objective assessments, fast, sharp, and insightful. Global business only on CGTN. The Ministry of Commerce, along with three other departments, issued a notice on Tuesday outlining multiple measures to facilitate Fujian Province exploration of new pathways for integrated development across the Taiwan Straits in the economic and trade domains. Firstly, China supports the establishment of Fujian Province as a demonstration zone for integrated development across the Taiwan Straits. Secondly, endorses the high-quality advancement of trade between Fujian and Taiwan. Thirdly, it aims to deepen the integration and development of advantageous industries between the two regions. Additionally, the initiative seeks to assist enterprises in Fujian and Taiwan in integrating into China's domestic cycle and to promote the accelerated integration and development of key regions. The National Development and Reform Commission, or NDRC, has outlined plans to promote the growth of China's private economy, focusing on three main aspects. Firstly, the NDRC will ensure that state-owned enterprises and private enterprises receive equal treatments. Secondly, it aims to foster a favorable environment for the development of the private economy by introducing supportive policies and leveraging local expertise. 
Additionally, the NDRC will work to address the challenges that hinder the growth of the private economy. This includes rectifying common issues and facilitating effective communication channels for private enterprises to address their needs and resolve challenges. Now, to learn more about China's private economy, we're joined by Liu Baocheng, Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. Uh, Liu Baocheng, good to see you. So, what specific measures has the Ministry of Commerce announced to promote consumer spending at the start of this year? And how are these measures expected to impact the overall uh, business landscape in China? There has been a slew of measures to encourage consumption. This is more uh, adoption from the Keynesian type of theory. Uh, by boosting consumption, then the economy can really grow and then industry will, will follow. Honestly speaking, I do not really see a substantial impact to boost the uh, consumption morale because uh, our economy is still in a rehabilitative mode and consumer confidence needs to be further enhanced before they can really open their wallet to uh, spend more. The, uh, the key issue is still the uh, job employment because uh, uh, without the uh, sufficient confidence in, the, uh, in their regular income and also in the social welfare that they can fall back on, and simply ask them to buy more TVs or buy more cars, that's uh, really a limited impact. Mm -hmm. So therefore, I would see that the Chinese government is there uh, also working very hard to, uh, to cater a more balanced supply so that uh, the consumers can uh, really have their jobs, but also they can uh, receive more of the support in terms of the social welfare in the job guarantee and by mobilizing the private sectors uh, to uh, to invigorate the economy, then there could be more job opportunities that can be offered. So it is really a holistic approach that it's uh, there to trigger the dynamism of the entire economic system that can really boost the consumption pattern. So the good part is that uh, the uh, consumer price still remain uh, uh, very low, and uh, now uh, consumers are now having more of the confidence that they do not really have to worry about price escalation. So that's a good part for them to uh, uh, to continue their consumption pattern. But a, a dra dramatic change would really need a more effort. Yeah, it's really about confidence uh, with the consumers. Um, now, let's talk about the current challenges facing private enterprises and what strategies do you think can be implemented to support and foster the recovery and the growth of private businesses? Actually, I've been leading a number of groups uh, to write recommendations to NDRC uh, with regard uh, to this aspect. And uh, we notified, uh, we, uh, Notice that uh, one key issue, which is very, very fundamental, is the protection of private properties. Because the private entrepreneurs, they care the most whether their property are in their full control. And second, whether they are placed on equal footing with uh, both the uh, state-owned enterprises and also foreign enterprises in terms of policies. Uh, uh, for example, in the access to finance from the state-owned banks, in the, uh, uh, in the equal treatment, in the government procurement program, and in their employment, the opportunities for 
uh, people, uh, you know, from those universities, etc. So the third is really more predictability, uh, which means there has to be a enhanced rule of law so that uh, they have uh, uh, a uh, more confidence in the prospect that uh, they are not really uh, violating something that's uh, by ignorance. So, uh, you know, the negative list uh, is not only there to be catered to the foreign companies, but also for private firms that are uh, without specific stipulation to forbid the market entry, then the private sectors can also freely enter into that market. So to defend the uh, the pro private property, to defend the rule of law, to defend also the spirit of contract is the way to go to boost the confidence of those uh, private investors. Yeah, definitely fairness, right? Um, and the NDRC also emphasized the need to attract private investment for major national projects and infrastructure development. Uh, how exactly will that be implemented? And uh, um, what does this mean for the development of private enterprises? Yes, I think, uh, again, the equal treatment uh, to the private enterprises uh, is uh, uh, still very important because, for example, if they engage in the PPP approach with state-owned firms, they have to be ensured that they have uh, equal say in proportion to their equity positions. It's not that uh, the state-owned enterprise will play a dominant position even if they are in a minority uh, situation uh, in the equity. And uh, then uh, there also has to be a, a very uh, clear and transparent plan that how much they're going to invest in order to coop their uh, return on investment. And then uh, you know they have to be also to be convinced that uh, there is prof uh, profitability to engage in that because uh, not like the state-owned firms that are you know uh, who are uh, there to invest in in those uh, strategic projects which may have more spillover uh, for uh, the public goods. So private investors, they only care about the return on their investment, the profitability. So selective projects needs to be offered for those private firms to participate uh, without too much concern over the uh, loss of their profit by the spillover effect. Yeah, definitely. Thank you so much for your insights, Professor Liu. Uh, always great to have you on the show. Liu Baocheng, Dean of the Center for International Business Ethics at the University of International Business and Economics. The data has come to be recognized as a resource many companies collect and trade. Since January 1st, companies in China can choose to trade their, the data they own as an asset or a product for sale. Back in 2022, the data trading market in China was already worth almost 88 billion yuan, accounting for two-thirds of Asia's total. Our reporter Zhang Shixuan has more. Where we go, what we buy, who we are. To someone, we are data. We need data. Data is the oil of the 21st century. If it's regarded as critical as crude, it's going to be valuable and serve as a foundation for a wide variety of businesses. China yes, goes through with, with a very unique ways, quite different with the other countries. Typically, uh, quite different with the US and Europe. This is Tang Qifeng, the general manager of the Shanghai Data Exchange. Amazon have a data marketplace 
They listing about uh, like uh, three to four thousand, include uh, satellite mapping. Every year, I think they will generate about like ten billion U.S. dollar for the marketplace. But for China, we use uh, another way. In a country like China, with 1.4 billion people, there is a mountain of data out there. Let's start with a look at the nation's vast road transport network. The Expressway Toll Collection System collects more than 10,000 different data points. The data accumulated every day is calculated in petabytes. Is this the largest volume anywhere in the world? What does that mean? China has the most highway mileage, 178,000 kilometers, ranking first in the world. China has more than 11,000 toll gates. When a car passes the ETC, the system collects the information from the license plate, whose car it is, the mileage, the time, the direction, and the charging fees. Banking, insurance, and logistics. They're from a road transport data service provider in Shanghai. Our data products have been accessed more than 20 million times in less than a year. How should data be shared? And what protections are in place? To get the answer, I visited a road transport data service provider in Shanghai, one of the companies responsible for issuing electronic toll collection or ETC cards, which allow non-stop passage of freight vehicles on expressway. In the past, traditional financial institutions were hesitant to enter the road cargo transport industry. They think of it as high risk. There were internet platforms offering loans with annual interest rates over 30%. Now, some banks are cooperating with us. They can get logistics operation information and get data support after loan issuance. While some might like to think of data as the oil of the 21st century, unlike oil, we don't always know where data comes from, who's selling, who's buying, and how it's being used. With an endless dream of it being collected and packaged up by different companies and organizations, encouraging them to manage security and privacy is an issue that won't go away. Zhang Shixuan, ICS for CGTN, Shanghai. Now for more discussions on the data economy, let's bring in Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Novum Arcade Technologies. Jiahe, good to see you. So first, let's talk about how do data resources contribute to the growth of the data economy and its impact on you know, the whole economic growth and innovation. Uh, the data resources have actually helped the modern economy from many, many aspects. And we are nowadays very hard to imagine that we return to the old days where we don't have much data resources at all. Uh, it increased economic growth in things like efficiency, uh, better quality, better service, more accurate business activities, all sorts of things. Uh, let me just uh, tell you a small example to you. I just uh, checked in a hotel in Guangzhou. In the old days, the traditional action that we do is that you pay a certain amount of deposit when you check in. And when you leave, you have to wait for a while. When, when the hotel staff checked your room and made sure you didn't damage anything, your deposit will be returned. So you can see this pr uh, process is time consuming. But it has been the hotel tradition for decades. But now there's another option. If you agree to share the data of your personal credit, the hotel can know right away that you are someone that is trustworthy. So you can, they can just remove the deposit and checking procedure. So it used to take around five to 10 minutes to check out, but now it just takes seconds, give them back the hotel card and everything's done. Uh, this is just one tiny example about how data changed our lives. Uh, and there are way more examples out there in our economy.
Yeah, there are definitely a lot of um, perks associated with data, but there's also challenges and risks um, along with you know selling and trading data. What are some of the effective methods for integrating data into research, uh, production, distribution, and consumption um, to harness first its potential as a powerful, powerful productive force? Then also, what challenges and risks does this integration pose? Well, in almost all areas of the economy, we can see that the data economy has significantly improved our economic life. Uh, take a, uh, take another example. In the internet consumption, a shopping platform can use big data to find out whose fault it is when facing some disputes between sellers and buyers. If a seller faces much more complaints than the other sellers, then the platform can know there is a larger possibility that the seller is selling with bad quality. And in production and agriculture, the data and AI has helped with efficiency improvement. Uh, for example, now more and more AI automatic picking machines are used in China's agriculture, which improved efficiency and farmers' income by a very large extent. So the using of data will improve the efficiency. And in a free market, there will always be someone smart enough to find this out. Uh, the challenges, on the other hand, include things like privacy, overuse of private information, uh, system meltdown, etc. And we need both the legislation and the careful work of businesses to counter these challenges. Yeah, for sure. Thank you so much for your insights. Really great to have you on the show. Chen Jiahe, Chief Investment Officer of Novan Arcade Technologies. Whether it's about your education, the home you live in, or the items you buy, your money has a story to tell. Because every business story is a human story. Global business. Thousands of German farmers are protesting against government plans to scrape subsidies on their industry, including benefits that allow agricultural diesel to be bought at a cheaper price. It's all part of the fallout from the budget crisis that rocked Germany at the end of 2023. Peter Oliver reports from Berlin. Germany's farmers have kicked off a week of nationwide protests by bringing the center of Berlin to a standstill. Convoys of tractors and trucks lined many of the main roads, causing major traffic disruption during rush hour. The farmers are angry over government plans to phase out agricultural subsidies as it attempts to fix a hole in its finances. The farmers have to ensure that food is there for the population, but in the end it's made so difficult for them. Now with the cuts and the like, that they're basically scraping by at the subsistence level and are basically no longer able to make it economically viable. And at some point, the money runs out. Chancellor Scholz's coalition was dealt a blow last year as its budget plans were thrown into disarray by the country's highest court. The three-party coalition of the Social Democrats, the Greens and the Free Democrats were forced into months-long negotiations to try and find cuts that could plug an $18 billion hole that remains in the country's finances. The latest draft budget for 2024 sees tax breaks for agriculture being scrapped and plans for a diesel subsidy for farmers phased out over several years. A previous protest by farmers saw the government U-turn on plans to get rid of subsidies immediately. Farmers' unions have called on protesters not to target politicians' homes. Other cities across Germany are also being affected by Monday's strike action. Tens of thousands of people gathered in Munich's city centre and in Bremen in the northwest of Germany. A VW car factory had to halt production because workers' access to the factory was blocked. 
here in Berlin. We are expecting more protests by farmers on the horizon. There's also a three-day rail strike starting on Wednesday to bring more transport chaos to the country. Peter Oliver, CGTN, Berlin. The world's largest personal electronic show is about to kick off in Las Vegas this week. Mark New has a preview of some of the innovators showcasing their technologies at the CES, the Consumer Electronics Show. At CES Unveiled, tech companies provide a glimpse of new products vying to shake up the market. The showcase floor is filled with everything from holographic portals to electric motorcycles that can go from 0 to 60 miles per hour in 2.5 seconds. If you change lanes, uh, it will automatically show you the video feed from the cameras because this new model comes with six cameras that provide 360 degree view in a motorcycle for the first time. With great power comes great responsibility and that's why we wanted to make our motorcycles the safest in the industry. Electric power is also being used by completely different product categories for safety and efficiency. The current dual-zone electric grill can be controlled with a smartphone. It will tell me exactly what temperature to set the grill at. I can put the food on. It will remind me when to flip it. It will remind me when it's time, when it's done, um, so that I don't burn anything. I get those perfect foolproof results. So it's zero emissions, and it's also six times more cost-efficient than propane grilling. What we're seeing is a lot of companies are starting to design products in a way that are sustainable, that help the earth, help the environment, and then lastly, accessibility. So what we're starting to see is a lot of companies are designing products with more that are more aimed at an, at an audience that might require accessible type features. This device uses pulleys, motors, and AI to help people with muscle weakness walk using 10% less energy. So you could walk for miles and miles without getting tired? Sure, sure. But we made this device not for me, but for elderly people. The company Heronix has other products that claim to help people run faster. Giyuk says they've tested athletes that have run 200 meters, up to 3.4 seconds faster using their device. If someone exceeds their limitation at once, they can do better, they can run better. Without that device, yeah, that's kind of muscle memory effect. That kind of testing is already proved in the sports training. And these days, artificial intelligence and virtual reality are combining together to make you better at whatever activity you're not that good at, like iGolf putter. All the things captured about the ball information, speed, velocity, angle, from here, then when you are playing golf, I can see all your posture. So once you are swing, have a different direction, so I can use the, such information to teach you how to adjust it. Technology working in all different ways to increase human capability and human potential. Mark New, CGTN, Las Vegas. And that will do it for this edition of Global Business. I'm Shalanenberg in Beijing.